All right. Welcome to the book club interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host, where we interview authors on business, real estate, and life. Today's guest is Luke Weber, who has been involved in thousands of real estate transactions over the last 15 years. He is actively investing in real estate across the country and has taught and coached thousands of investors. His book, The Flipping Blueprint, is full of tips, tricks, formulas, and secrets that he uses in his business and in the current market. These are not outdated principles or false promises with an emphasis on safe investing for higher returns. Luke has used his real estate appraisal knowledge as the backdrop for delivering information that can change your life. Welcome to the show, Luke. How are you doing today? Good, Scott. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on. Yeah, no, we just connected over Facebook and we were talking about, you know, our, our network that is growing and learning from each other. So really appreciate it. And I love seeing success of, uh, you know, other investors and giving back through education and writing a book. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh, having that abundance mentality. We're not, we're not all fighting against each other. There's plenty out there for everyone. Well said. And I think that was the biggest mind shift when I went from, you know, being a full-time teacher to investor, it was, you got to get the deals. There's only so many out there, but you start listening and that's the power of all the education and technology out there is, most investors that are successful have that mindset that you talk about. Was yeah. there a shift in your real estate career where you, you know, went from more of an abundance mindset? You know, I don't think it was necessarily my real estate career. I think it was just a, a full life shift mm -hmm. where uh, you, you realize that you decide what you want to do and what you want to be and how you want to feel. And when you start making those decisions, yeah, you, you, it all resonates throughout what you do, whether it's you know, playing a pickup game of basketball or something, or flipping houses or wholesaling or, or just interacting with people at Starbucks. Um, you get to choose what you wanna do and then uh, good things happen when you're a good person. Well said. So you've written the blueprint. So let's start at the beginning with a little bit of your background and what led you to write the book. Yeah, so going, going way back, um, I, I uh, got into real estate in 2001 as a real estate appraiser. So that was, that was my experience on that side of things. And you don't have to get a, go get a license to, to get into this business for the audience who's listening and or trying to figure out how to get in. Mm. You don't have to do it. Um, but uh, uh, fast forwarding through the next few years, I, I didn't realize that there was all the knowledge base that's out there nowadays. I mean, mm -hmm. that was early 2000s and, and I was just learning on my own, flipping a house here and there, buying a rental here and there and building a little portfolio and, and doing things the way traditionally you, you did them. Mm -hmm. um, then getting into 2010, uh, I, I stopped buying for a few years when the market crashed and got back in in 2010 and uh, the, uh, the market definitely shifted and, and I started learning and going out and educating myself and I, I went out and I, I paid you know, tens of thousands of dollars, uh, well over $100,000 for education because I knew that one little thing that I can pick up, I'm going to repeat it 100 times over and make my money back tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold, whatever it is. Uh, so I, I kept going to these education events. And I soon saw this growing theme where these education events are just sales events and people aren't getting information that is number one usable in today's market or even usable at all to, to, to a new person beginning. 
And I thought, you know, how can I really help people from plunking down $50,000 for education that they're not going to use? <laughs> it's like, yeah. if, if you can't start taking action from what you can learn in, in my book, and, you know, there's tons of other great resources out there, but I wanted to give people something that I thought, hey, use this, and if you can't start doing something and seeing results off of this, you shouldn't pay the $50,000 for that. <laughs> yep. That's, so that's, that's a better that's why I book. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's, that's a knowledgeable approach because, I mean, especially, I, I think you talked about it going to your seminar, is especially the, the $40,000 one where you started looking around and you're wondering how people could afford it and people maxing out their credit cards and that, and that's a tough pill to swallow because yeah, you know, you you want people to to be successful and start in the green, not necessarily just, you know, pay for the guru. So it's a respectful approach. Yeah. Now there's nothing wrong with paying for education, getting mentors and things like that. But the majority of people that go to any of those type of events, whether it's real estate, uh, Forex, uh, vitamins, multi-level marketing, whatever it is, 96% of those people do absolutely nothing with it, no matter how much they pay, whether it was $100 or $100,000. It's a crazy stat. That so is. My goal is to change that. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. It's a good goal. Now, how crucial was becoming an appraiser for your flipping success? So that you, you mentioned that you got your appraiser's license, I'm assuming? Yeah. Okay. So how was that process to get that? You know, it, uh, um, it was a lot different back in 01 than it is now. It's, it's definitely a lot harder and there's a lot more restrictions when the market crashed in, uh, uh, 06 to 2010, depending on what stats you follow. Um, the, uh, the realtors had a lobby, the mortgage bankers had a lobby, the appraisers really didn't have a lobby and they took a lot of the heat for what mm-hmm. happened. Now, in some cases it was rightly so, uh, there was a lot of bad guys out there doing a lot of bad things, but there was a lot of that in all the industries. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me personally, it really gave me the background and the education to understand valuation mm-hmm. and knowing what a property is going to be worth after I fix it up and after repair value. That's so key in this business. Really knowing that is is my starting point whenever I'm looking at a deal. So I'm able to take a look and see what's what's selling, what's been sold, what's what's available, and then going back through and, and estimating out my repairs and my, my closing costs and, and the profit that I want to make. And it's all really based on being able to get that number. But again, you don't have to get a license to do it. You just have to understand valuation concepts. And I, I try to I try to put them into the book as well as I could in writing. But it's definitely one of those things that takes time and reviewing more deals to get a real good hang of it. I thought you did a wonderful job in the book of really explaining that and, and getting that approach. But like you said, books give you that knowledge, but again, you have to apply it and, and it's refining and applying those skills where you become an expert in your local market. Yeah. So, but it was, it was, it was clearly written, you know, as an educator, I, I think that, you know, a teacher is only as good as how, well, they could take a complex thing and explain it in simple terms. And I thought you did a wonderful job with that. Thanks. Thanks. I still haven't done an audio version of it uh, uh, because there, there are a lot of numbers in there and not numbers that will scare you, but uh, just for looking at it, I've, I've always been the, the I want to hold the book. I'm the paperback guy yeah. or cover. 
I, I want to have it in my hand so I can make my notes, uh, mm -hmm. uh, dog ear the pages, and um, uh, that's how I operate. Uh, and I know other people are big on audibles, um, but uh, uh, you know, we'll we'll see. One one day I might still put that out there. Yeah, no, I think, it, and I'm the same way. I'm old school. I like I like that physical feel of the book, and and I like the podcast for commuting to work back in the day. That's because I can. They're short, and typically audio books are eight to ten hours. Yeah. I feel like my mind's just wandering at that point, and it's tough. But if, and that's the thing about education. It's right. It's finding what works for you and having those different. If you're auditory or visual, you know, it's, it's good to have options. Yeah. You know, I love in the beginning of the book, this is, this is something I haven't seen. And you talk about finding out who you are first as an investor and a business person. So why is it important to create our real estate story? Yeah. You know, it's from going to all these different events and talking with people and even hosting my own events. Um, I, you know, I found like this, this was one of those things that everybody was missing. Hmm. Uh, you, a lot of uh, people say, hey, fake it till you make it kind of thing. Right. But if you're just faking it, you don't believe it and you're not selling yourself. Right. And, and you're losing out on those conversations that could be that next private investor for you or the, the wholesaler who's going to send you that perfect deal or the seller who's going to sign your contract because you're just not able to really pitch yourself because you don't believe it yourself. Uh, we all have a real estate story and and it can be as simple as. You know, I, I moved around as a kid. I lived in three different houses. Oh, so you've been in three different houses. Were they in different cities? Yeah, they were in three different cities. Okay, so you've been an act, active in real estate in three different cities. Oh, well, when you put it like that, it sounds a little better than, hey, I, I'm a noob. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, that's just a breakdown yeah. on it, but it's, it's, it's how you phrase things and, and, and really then building the belief within yourself of, you know, I, I do have experience. Yeah, no, it's amazing. I think that's, and like you said, starting that conversation because you don't, you don't know who you're going to talk to next. And that's, that's, that's valuable advice. And I love how you started with that. It was a great point because you got to know your why, you got to know who you are. And once you have that and that confidence and don't fake it, I mean, you know, you might have to fake that confidence, that last little piece, but if you're real to who you are, it'll go a long way. Yeah, I'm not saying don't don't fluff and, and tweak things a little. Yeah. You know, when they're built on truth, mm. it's so much better for you when you're delivering and you can stand by things and, and um, just really pitch yourself. We're always selling. We're always selling our, ourselves, whether we, we mean to or not, but through our presentation or our, our voice if we're trying to get something or give something it's it's sales and, and if you don't believe that you're not going to close that sale one way or the other well said i love that one of my favorite books uh one of my chiropractors gave me is is on believing right it was a simple book it was like 50 60 pages but it was all about that i can attitude right yeah. it's and that, and that goes a long way i think that's just the most basic foundation for success. Yeah. You know? So moving on to more success is when it deals with flipping and analyzing markets like a pro. So what about the key features that help you choose a market? What factors do you look for? Population or housing inventory? You know, there's a, a couple of key, key items that uh, I'm always looking for. And, and one of the things that, you know, usually pushes other people away brings me in. And, and that's, if people say that 
it, it's too tough to find a deal here. It's a, it's a difficult market. It's, it's way too competitive or you're too late. Like all that kind of talk just means that, oh, when I get a deal there, I'm going to be able to sell that thing so fast. It's going to be so easy. So that, that's a driver for me. So on that same thought process, I'm looking at markets that have very limited inventory. Because when I get a house, I want to be able to sell it quick, whether I'm wholesaling or flipping. Uh, I, I like the analogy of the uh, the bread aisle. You know, you go to the grocery store and uh, in the bread aisle, there's 60, 70 different loaves to choose from, right? So in a in a standard market with four to six months of inventory, there's there's a whole lot of loaves of bread out there. In the markets that I play in, people go show up to the grocery store and it's like a hurricane just came through and there's there's two loaves of bread on the shelves. They got to pick one of them. And, uh, you know, mine is the one that's still intact and not busted up <laughs> and decompressed. And, you know, like the other one looks like somebody's dropped an elbow onto it and, and dented it up. Two you know, slices what, missing. Yeah. What, what loaf are they going to choose? They're going to choose mine all day long. That's what I want. I don't want them to say, yeah, I'll, I'll try that one instead. That's uh, smart. And uh, I like that wisdom of, you know, everybody's telling you to get away and, and you're looking at that as, okay that's a success for me. And I like that little niche, you know, that's great. Now, how important is the inventory level and in days on market? So you, you set a standard of four to six months. So that is that an industry average? Yeah. So you kind of break up uh, markets into three categories. You have uh, zero to three months. Um, we'll put you into a, a hot market or, you know, if it's one month or less, it's really a hyper market. That means things are just flying off the shelves. It's, it's a, a seller's paradise, right? You're demanding your price and you're getting it. Um, once you get up into that four to six months, it's more of a stable market. It's a healthy market. Properties are coming on market and they're, they're, they're selling in, in the right amount of time. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you price things right, they'll sell. People want to buy there. But if you start getting into over six months of inventory, that really is considered an oversupply. It's going to be really hard to sell the house there unless you know you price it real competitively or you've done a way above and beyond remodel to it that costs way too much you know the hgtv style kind of remodels yep um, uh, and even at that you're gonna sit for a little while buyers aren't coming in there and saying i have to buy a house now they're saying yeah if the right one comes around maybe we'll make an offer we're not gonna make an offer at list we're gonna make an offer where we want to make it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh, you know, with the months of inventory, uh, you get that play on the days on market where you'll, you'll have a lesser days on market. To, uh, you know, even in hot markets, um, uh, you'll have a days on market average for the entire metro area in that 20 to 40 day mark because people are still listing their houses way too high. Upper end houses take longer to sell typically. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but once you get over, you know, really if you get over 90 or 100 days on market as an average, that's way too long for me. Really over 60 on an average is something I'm, I'm going to be real cautious about. But if it's looking at over 100 days, uh, I'm probably going to be staying away from that or I'm going to be making ridiculously low offers. To account for your holding costs in the back yeah. end. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well said. Now in chapter four, and I, you mentioned this in the beginning, one of the most important numbers. So how, you know, how to accurately determine the ARV or the after repair value. 
and you talk about it. So you're no formula. So what are some good tips when it's just starting out? You need to know what your closing costs are, both when you buy a house and when you sell a house, because you're going to have to pay them. So you got to take it out of the, the mix. Uh, now, a lot of people don't know that those are negotiable costs. Most title companies will reduce their, their fees by up to 30% if you say you're an investor. Um, you know, your realtor commissions can be negotiable depending on what you're really requesting from the realtor. Uh, you still need it to be a win-win scenario. But uh, the way I look at it is I, I, I look at, at my after repair value and that's based on comps. Comparable sales is what I'm talking about. They're not listings, not feelings, not <laughs> dreams. It is sold properties of similar design appeal, a real apple to apple comparison and uh, that, that recently closed on the market because that's going to tell you what the market's doing. Hmm. Uh, so that, that's my, my starting basis. And then I, I uh, minus out my, my purchase closing costs, my sales closing costs, my holding costs without I'm estimating. Um, if you're getting uh, financing for the property, minus out your financing. And then minus out your repairs and your desired profit. And that's how you end up with, you know, what you can yeah. offer for the property. Well said. Now, if that number comes out to $237,218 or something like that, don't write the offer with that exact number. Please don't do that. You look like a robot. The, the, the sellers, the realtors are going to say, that's garbage. Just round it to a 500 or a 1,000 mark. <laughs> okay. Good tip. Now, in terms of you know putting out deal flow and putting fishing lines out there, as you call it in the book, so what's the main source of deal flow for you? Uh, right now, I'm running about 50% of my deals are actually coming from wholesalers. Okay. Uh, these are people that are out there getting contracts on properties, not actually buying them, but then they're selling me their interest on the property uh, or in the contract, and then uh, I buy from them. And one of the key facts of that is I never count anyone else's money. If the deal pencils out for me, I'm happy. So if, if I say I'm okay making a 25 grand profit on this deal, and then the numbers come over and I see the wholesalers making $100,000 just to move the contract, I don't know everything that he did to get that deal, how much he spent on marketing or time frame, or if he's paying off some uh, other liens or, or paying for the, the seller to move, all kinds of things. But what I'm gonna tell him is, hey man, congrats, that's an awesome fee. Put it towards your marketing and get me some more deals. So yeah, I, I buy a lot from wholesalers right now. I, I, I've actually trained a bunch here uh, locally in Las Vegas where I'm at. Uh, I think last year I had, um, it was, I think it was nine different people who got their first wholesale deal uh, that I, I helped them through. And that, that's always a fun feeling. And, and uh, yeah. I mean, some of those people making 20 grand a pop. Yeah. Well, I love how you look at that. That's that abundance mindset, right? You know, if, if it pencils out for me, you don't know what's going through on our side. That's, that's well said. That's, that's wisdom. I think it comes with experience, you know, yeah. now in terms of, I love your term in the book, the dirty dozen keyword search. So can you explain, you know, some of the keywords that you like to use? Yeah. So another way we get properties is out of the MLS, the, the multiple listing service, the thing that the realtors use. And most, most of those systems, you can put in keyword searches where if somebody has put in the comments of their listing that uh, houses damage need repairs, it's, it's a fixer upper. You can have an auto search set up so that when that listing goes out there, 
you can have it automatically sent to your email. Uh, so words like damaged, fixer upper, handyman, um, uh, you know, it, 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 some of them are going to have some regional ones. Mm. Uh, uh, BOM in different markets can mean different things. Some will just mean that it's back on market. Other areas of the country, it might mean bottom of market, meaning, hey, this is the bottom of the market. It's the lowest price listing out there. Um, you know, it's a deal because of that. I don't use words like uh, fire or mold for my <laughs> dirty dozen because you're going to get every listing with a fireplace. And uh, a lot of the MLSs out there now have uh, mold waivers or, or uh, uh, you know, like if it's a hurricane area, they might say uh, no, no uh, water damage or mold damage. And it's if you put a mold or fire in those, your, your inbox is just going to be full of stuff that you don't want to spend. <laughs> yep. I love that. That's the, that's the other two that you kind of leave out smart. <laughs> um, so you know, let's say we, you know, put the fishing lines out in terms of the keyword search and finding deals and, you know, something has nibbled and we've ironed out our ARV. So what type of offer do you like to make when it comes to due diligence, timeframe and contingencies? Yeah. You know, since I play in pretty hot markets, um, I, I'm usually going to do a pretty uh, low due diligence timeframe. I'm making these offers sight unseen, so I, I'm not doing zero days uh, uh, due diligence. I'm typically doing two days due diligence. It's enough time for me to get uh, one of my team members out to the property, get a full set of photos, and really dig into the numbers and, and make sure that it is a deal. Uh, my closing time frames, uh, depending on the property, I'm, I might be seven to ten days for my closing. Mm -hmm. um, and then, uh, you know, I like to put down a hefty EMD. Um, I, if, if you're putting $100 down for an EMD, uh, it's not really uh, going to look good. Mm -hmm. So we typically, even on like a $150,000 house, I'm putting down 5,000 EMD. Uh, it, uh, it seems to be a pretty good number for us. It makes the sellers know that we're real. Uh, mm -hmm. Even if they're only asking for $1,000 or $1,500, uh, I still give the five grand. Now, one of the things about doing your due diligence quickly is if you get out there the next day and you find out, hey, it's not a deal, I don't put my EMD in, <laughs> right? It's I either, I'll, I'll go back to him and say, hey, you know what? After further review, looking at the property, uh, we would still like to buy it, but we can't be at X. We have to be at Y for price. Mm -hmm. yeah, Interesting. So, so you negotiating. Yeah. yeah. But we've so already got our foot in the door. <laughs> Well said. Now, do you wait a day to send that check-in? Um, yeah, so uh, typically if we're on the fence about the deal, we haven't like spent enough research on it right off the bat. Um, we'll, uh, we'll typically get it in within 48 hours. Now, you have to understand that uh, no, okay. I'm, I'm not a, uh, an attorney or a, a <laughs> or any of that kind of stuff. I guess I should say that too, right? Um, the... Uh, most contracts, uh, standard realtor contracts, are going to have in there a provision of when the EMD is supposed to be delivered. Uh, most areas, it's, it's two days or 48 hours that you have to put it in there. Mm -hmm. uh, but the thing about that is on most contracts, that is a curable item, meaning if you don't put your EMD in, the and the seller says, oh, I'm canceling. I'm going to take this other offer because you didn't put your EMD in. 
you still have the right to cure that deficiency in the contract and say, you know what, I, I really do want this one. Let me get the MD over there. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's good to know. Uh, now, in terms of, you know, continue, are you putting a finance if you're using some type of cash, even just to get, you know, uh, yeah. no, we'll do, we'll do uh, as is um, cash deal, no appraisal or loan contingencies. Mm -hmm. Because our offers are going to be low enough where it's not going to matter. And even with when we buy with hard money loans, the they're not getting appraisals that are going to be relevant to those terms, meaning that they're appraising it on a, a future value if they even do an appraisal. Of course. And that's where I think your strong suit comes in if you have that expertise in, in looking at those comps and determining that ARV, you should know of. So there's no real reason to get an appraisal if, if you don't right. have that expertise. So Right. Now, for individuals that are out there, I, I, I tell you, go get three opinions of value mm -hmm. and get unbiased opinions of value. The realtor who's writing that offer for you, they're going to get a commission if that house closes. They are biased. <laughs> so talk to a couple other realtors or another uh, a flipper or a local mentor or, or something like that and say, hey, what do you think of this deal? And then, uh, you know, you, you get that and somebody's way off from you. Don't try to convince them that your $400,000 ARV is better than their three fifty. Ask why they thought it was three fifty. I I love that. And you said that in the book, especially with the hard money lender, ask them why. And I yep. think that's the best question you can ask. Yep. Then you fine tune, you get experiences and, and you won't get caught. And I think that's what your book does a great job of is stepping away from those landmines that can derail your project very fast. Yeah. Yeah. And now let's move on to the other half of the puzzle. So this is funding the deal. So what do you recommend for a first time flipper in financing and, and what's the best way to set it up? Well, it, it really depends on, where they're at financially. I mean, some people have no money. Some people have a ton of money. I was just talking with a guy yesterday that he's got almost a million dollars available to him. And he, he's like, well, I was told that you, know, you should never use your own money. I'm like, why not? You've got that money. It's not doing anything. You might as well put it to work. Mm -hmm. If you use somebody else's money, OPM, other people's money, um, I like the phrase OPE, other people's everything, right? You try to get whatever you can and, and save your time and energies. Um, but uh, uh, hard money is great. Uh, the rates have really come down over the last five years, uh, really nationwide, where a lot of people were paying crazy 15% interest, five points. Uh, you're seeing those markets down in the 10 and 12% uh, interest. And, Yep. and maybe two to three points uh, for, for even new beginners. Mm -hmm. um, uh, private investors are always great, easier to deal with, uh, partnering up with somebody that's got the money, but not the time. You might have the time and the knowledge. And mm -hmm. hey, Mr. Doctor, I know you've got, you're busy with your practice uh, um, doing work and you understand that real estate is a great way to make money. How about this? You've worked really hard for your money. Let's get your money working hard for you. Uh, and we'll split the profits 50-50. Or you, you give them the 10, 12% interest and a couple points to, to fund the deal for you. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I like to keep as much money local as possible. 
Um, so if, if people are within my realm, my, my sphere of influence, uh, I'd rather give them the money than some big old hedge fund uh, in New York. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like I like that I'm able to change people's lives that way too. Of course. And it's, it's this win-win situation. It's not like you're trying to make money off them and sell them something like a coaching or product. You, they're getting their money working for them, oh, yeah. creating your spread off your flips and rentals and it's win-win-win. So. Yep. Strong passive income for them. And, and uh, you know, it's, somebody offers you eight and 10% uh, interest and your, your money is just sitting in the bank account getting, if you're lucky, a quarter percent. <laughs> yeah. um, yep. It's, it's kind of a no brainer for me. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. And I think that's the best approach I use is it's not only that your money, you're getting a better return. It's okay. It's secured by an asset in first position at a safe ARV. If anything ever were to happen, you know, and you put insurance on it, that's, that's a solid yeah. investment. Properties insured, they're in first position, uh, known in need of trust recorded, mm -hmm. uh, just like as if they were in Bank of America or Wells Fargo. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, the great thing about being in the hot markets is those properties turn over fast. So although it's not liquid as if their money is in a bank account, you know, if they need that money in six months, it's going to come available again. I think our average last year for our properties was 132 days that we owned it from the time we bought it to the time we sold it. So that's rehab, marketing, and closing all, all tied into there. That's amazing. You're cruising. Yeah. 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 I think my first one was like 12 months and <laughs> another couple of weeks after that and <laughs> extension points, but you know. yeah, you know, it's the way it goes and you know, yeah. Sharing those kind of stories is great too. And that's why I did that in the book about my, my first one. I did everything wrong and people are going to do things wrong, but you have to learn from them yes. right? and, and, and do what you can to mitigate the, the mistakes, obviously. Yep. <laughs> um, but, but things happen. We have deals that go long, uh, uh, whether it was something that was planned or not planned, but the more you do things correctly from the start, you can really mitigate those things. Uh, going back to the ARV, deciding on, you know, your ARV is based on fact, not dreams and a realtor's feeling or, you know, I sold one here like four years ago and it went so fast. People love this neighborhood. Um, this one's going to go fast. Don't worry about it. Well, that's not proof to me. <laughs> uh, I'm in the business of making money on real estate I buy, not maybe making it or hopefully making it. I know when I buy a house, I'm making money on it. That was one of my favorite quotes in the book too. I'm not in for making <laughs> and just let it down. It was solid. I loved it. Now, so we we found the deal, we funded the deal. So now starts the fun of finding a quality contractor with fair pricing. So what are some of your best tips, Luke? You know, and before you even close on that house, you should have already gotten the contractors, right? You should have already known what the rehab numbers are going to be or, or, pretty damn close to what they should be, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, uh, you know, contractors are out there. Um, and, and sometimes it, it takes, takes some work, right? I think in the book, I, I say, you know, 10 to three, 10 contractors to get three quotes. Actually, I was talking with uh, one of my new students uh, and um, he's like, he, he's, he's newer. 
uh, to the business. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I heard you say it, but I was like, I'm, it's not going to be like that for me. I'm really going to do my due diligence and follow up with these guys. And he's like, man, you were right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. it's, it, it's tough. And, and, and once you come to terms with that, then you realize that, okay, I know I'm not going to get a number from these guys, even though some of these, I'm going to get contractors come out to the house. We're going to spend two hours there measuring everything, spending time. We're going to have five phone calls about materials. And then they never give you a number. <laughs> like what, the, what they'll charge you. I don't care if it's astronomical, you know, 80,000 on a $30,000 job, at least give me the number. Let's finish that conversation. But they just don't do it. That's the way it works. Um, so uh, yeah, but uh, referrals are great. Mm -hmm. uh, when you're looking at your comps to determine your ARV, you're probably looking at remodeled houses. Have your realtor reach out to them or you reach out to that listing agent who, did, who sold that house, give them a compliment, say, wow, that house looked great. Uh, I'm thinking about remodeling my house just down the road. Uh, is that, could you get me that contractor's name and information? I'm going to remodel it and I'm going to sell it. And the realtor is going to, like you, when you say you're going to sell it, that realtor, even though you might not ever even plan on using them, they're going to think, oh, this is a potential listing for me after this. So let me get this person that contractor's information and pass the word, right? You're dangling yeah. carrots. That, that's an amazing tip. That, that's one to write down right away. <laughs> All right. So we've gone through, completed our flip. Hopefully we've got the contractors in there. Everything went without a hiccup. So, so what are some best tips on listing a house for a sale? List it when it's done. <laughs> Don't get too eager and say, you know, I, I got to get it on the market this weekend. Even though the guys are still there cleaning up, I haven't done a final walk on it. The contractor said it's done um, or good enough. Don't list it until the property is 100% complete. Uh, it's going to help you sell it because that opening weekend, especially in hot markets, are, are really going to be the, the, the key. Uh, you want to drive an offer. So you have to price your house right. So before we list the house, we're taking a look at our value again. Because mm -hmm. over these last two months from when we said, yes, we're buying it to now, the market's changed. Maybe, maybe it's slowed down and there's a whole bunch of inventory. Maybe all the inventory is gone and you can list it 25,000 higher. Just because you determine your ARV at the beginning doesn't mean that that's your list price at the end. Mm -hmm. Well said. Now, are you looking at the past 90 days? Is that yeah, the. I, I typically am I'm looking at that. So sometimes, I mean, for, for me, I'll look at data sets of six months, uh, okay. typically, but I, that's, uh, you know, for, for regular people. <laughs> yeah. That don't have the experience of knowing how to cipher through all those various numbers. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I love looking at data and analyzing it and looking at the trends and everything. Yeah. But for safety, really take a look at the last 90 days of sales. And then at that point, when you're listing it, you're also taking a look at what your competition is. So what's listed? If everything else is listed from 280 to 300, you probably don't want to list at 340. Mm. It's like, what house is going to sell first? Well, the lower priced ones. Yeah. Well said. Now, have you ever, uh, let's talk about best flips and worst flips. So, so what's the best deal you've done? Um, you know, it's always funny. I get these cameras. I, I, I do interviews and things like this, or just talking to people in general. Uh, and I get that question and best flip I've ever done. 
for some people, it's well, what's the, the highest profit you've made? Yeah. Well, if that profit took a ton of work and had a whole bunch of <laughs> headaches, to me, that's not the best flip. Uh, I like the ones where I, the deal comes over, I say, yeah, we'll take it. I hand it over to my team and it goes through the process. I've never walked the house. We close on it and then the numbers all pencil out to what we said it was going to and we made 40 grand in like three or four months on it and i've never never walked the house i've maybe had three four conversations about the house <laughs> but for, for me those are the best flips now uh, yeah. when, I, when i have to get involved with things it usually means that it's more complex and uh, which i don't mind but uh, uh, those are no longer the best flips now the worst flips are the ones where everything goes wrong and that happens. We had one which was um, the, the rehab went an extra two months on it. And uh, to, just to get to what we thought was our end point, the uh, mm -hmm. contractor took long. We, we gave him a couple, we, I think we gave him four jobs. We, normally he was a, like a two job contractor and he said he got new guys on and it just stretched him to the limits and caused problems across all four properties. Uh, but this, this one was a bit more of a custom house uh, where we had to do extra things, different cabinets, different flooring than our, our normal uh, standards are. Um, then we had the air conditioners go out, both of them at different times. Um, while the house was listed, uh, we had a leak in the pool. Now in Vegas, right, air conditioners, pretty important. Uh, pools are also important. The, there was a leak in the pool that we had to dig all the way down and under the pool. <laughs> so while the house was listed, we had to take it off market four different times. Fixing AC, fixing the, uh, the, the pool. Um, uh, we had a room that all of a sudden the rafters started, started sinking. So this, we, we monitor houses weekly and we took a look at these pictures and we're like, wait a second, is that ceiling slope now? So some, sometimes things just happen. We didn't even move any walls or anything. All of a sudden, it just, there, there was just sinking in that ceiling to the tune of about three and four inches in, in areas. You know, like the, the air vents were, uh, you know, like corners were popped and we're like, oh, that doesn't look right. So we had to redo the whole ceiling. So each one of those mistakes uh, not necessarily mistakes, but issues that arise mm. um, are, are two to five thousand dollars a pop. Not to mention the extended time. So the deal that we should have made fifty thousand dollars on, we ended up losing three thousand dollars. Not uh, too bad. Not too bad. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you know, for me, it's you know, I, I'm yeah, again, I'm buying houses to make money. So yes. Uh, Th those are the ones I remember the most. <laughs> yeah, especially the pool. Few and far between, but <laughs> yeah, digging under. What did that look like? I mean that that sounds like a project in and of itself. Yeah, they. Uh, yeah, it was a big old old concrete pool that had issues. They couldn't solve it from the 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 top. They had to go down, uh, replaced all the piping. Um, yeah, it was it was a process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, call those life lessons, right? Yep. yep. <laughs> yep. Um, so I love the end of the book and how you spoke about networking and social media. And what did you learn from that reflective process of using your social media 
to help build your business? Well, I wasn't, I wasn't the guy that was out there, right? I, 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 I didn't get on social media until 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was always the guy that sat in the back of the room and said, if people want to talk to me, they'll come talk to me. But they didn't even know I was there. So you, you have to let people know you're there. Um, you know, and I started doing that. And, and, and then people started coming to me and asking questions uh, and seeing that, oh, you've, you are actually doing this business and, and you're willing to share information. Uh, and that actually was part of how the book started as well. I was getting these same questions over and over and over. And I wrote some white pages, uh, you know, five, 10 page documents. And then I was kind of put them together and like, oh, I'm almost out of book. Let me finish it out. Uh, you know, the process had, uh, took longer and more than I thought it was going to, but uh, I'm happy with the result. Um, but uh, the, the networking aspect of the business is huge. Uh, going out to meetups and letting people know what you're doing, practicing talking to people and sharing your real estate story with them so that when you do have that conversation with the ones that really matter, and not to say that those ones won't matter, mm -hmm. um, it, it, it just helps the more you surround yourself with what you want and what you do uh the, the further along you'll you'll take yourself on your your path to success that's amazing i love that that introspective approach you know and, and using it and tools to our advantage and i i really love this tip because i think we all struggle with this is you you set timers on it right i have this one task i've got 10 minutes to do it and then i'm off I, yeah yeah <laughs> I was showing some of my staff the other day to, uh, uh, you know, making uh, images to put on social media. It's, it's, it shouldn't take 30 minutes to create one image. You know, we, we, we like to put, uh, if one, one, our, one of our houses sells, we'll put the image up and then we'll put a big old sold banner or record setting price or, or, you know, things like that. Or, uh, you know, investor just made money or something, whatever. Uh, but that can be done in two minutes to show them how otherwise people will spend time and, and, and energy and like, Oh, it's got to be perfect. And well, no, you've, your time is your most valuable asset. If you're not managing your time, right. And I, and I say, you know, get a little egg timer, whatever it takes. So you got that click, 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 uh, <laughs> telling you, Hey, you've got other stuff to do, get this one done and move on. <laughs> That's amazing. No, that's, that's, that's a great tip. I love how you wrapped it up with the book and, and it, it's amazing because like I said, I, I, your book does a wonderful job of, of putting that into coherent, easy to understand knowledge. So I think it's, I think it's such a great book if someone's really looking to understand and, and you can even apply that to the rentals, right? You're yeah. doing the same process and trying to buy right and trying to manage the contractors how to find them and how to run yep. the numbers and yeah, everything financing of them. Uh, mm -hmm. it really all starts with that. And then you can, mm -hmm. you can take it into wholesaling to rentals to mm -hmm. being a private investor and knowing how to protect yourself. Right. Exactly. It, it's, uh, uh, each one of those aspects of it helps whatever, whatever realm of real estate you want to be in. Mm-hmm. And I, and I love this approach that you started as that appraiser, right? I think that's the rock solid foundation of, of knowing that number. And, and then just like you said, from there, we just subtract X, Y, and Z, boom, our offer. Yeah. Nope. And it's, it really comes down to that basic concept of apples to apples. You mm -hmm. know, when your house is done and remodeled, 
is it going to look like that one that is $500,000 or is it going to look like the one that's $350,000? If there's no way in hell it's going to look like that $500,000 one, that shouldn't be your ARV. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's so great. Well, Luke, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate your time. And I know listeners gain some valuable knowledge. Uh, can you tell us the best place to find out more about you and where to pick up a copy of your book? Yeah, Scott. Well, and thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Uh, best place to find me is on Facebook. I'm on there every day. Um, you know, we, the, the book is The Flipping Blueprint. You can find it on Amazon, iBooks, uh, Barnes & Noble, uh, pretty much anywhere. Um, and the, uh, the uh, best way to really interact with me is uh, the Flipping Blueprint group page on Facebook. Now, I do have two entry questions for you to get in there. Uh, super easy questions, and I just try to keep the spammers out because I want it to be a healthy, safe community where you're not just inundated with crazy offers on awesome fake Rolex watches and things like that. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I want you know, a lot of times people reach out to me privately, uh, and I'll tell them post the, the question in the group page because if you have that question, other people have it too, and let's help everyone out. Uh, but uh, yeah, that, that's the best way to find me. And, uh, you know, if you guys do get the book, uh, I'd love the reviews. Um, it, uh, it helps other people find it too. And that's really mm -hmm. the goal is to get that book out to as many people as possible so that everyone can invest safely and, and get to where they really want to go on their journeys. Yeah. And it's just not me endorsing that. You have over a hundred five-star reviews in the book. So it's, it, it's working and, uh, I'll, I'll link the show notes with all those, those copies in the Facebook group as well. So right. appreciate that. Thanks Luke. All right. You have yourself a good day. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. And that concludes our book club interview with author Luke Weber, who wrote The Flipping Blueprint, which is the complete plan for flipping houses and creating a real estate investing business. It's a wonderful book. It's a blueprint to flipping everything from finding the deals to dealing with contractors and to negotiating contracts. It's all covered in this book and much more. I highly recommend it. It's, it's one of the best flipping books I've read to date. I absolutely love the knowledge that he has in there. It's very practical, down to earth, easy to read, highly recommend it. Make sure you check out the show notes because I'm going to link that Facebook group Luke was talking about and where you can pick up a copy. Make sure you like us on Facebook. Follow us on iTunes so you can stay up to date to the authors we're interviewing and the lessons we are learning. That's it for today. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. We'll see you next time.